don't think they wanted to stop. We're going to be seated. If you're standing, grab your Bibles. You can actually open to two places. They'll be right close together. 2 Kings chapter 2 and 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 2, 2 Kings chapter 4. So this whole summer, we're looking at the prophets in the Old Testament, calling it Summer with the Prophets. This whole year, we've been talking about being focused. So tell your neighbor, get focused. Right? Wake up, get focused. Focused all year. What are we focused on? We're focused on his words to us. And so we've been taking time going back into the Old Testament and looking at people of faith, several that we read through into Hebrews chapter 11, and then at the end looking to Jesus. That's our focus. So we look to Jesus. So today I want to look again. Last week we started with Elisha. Uh, and I want to look uh, again at a miracle that took place with Elisha. So if you remember, there's Elijah, the prophet of God, and then there's Elisha. And so many times those words get, so if I mess up those words here and there, um, we're talking about Elisha today. You know, when I, uh, when I was a kid, in fact, I was born in Eugene, Oregon, but we moved when I was three. And so I grew up at Rosemead and Duarte in San Gabriel on a street called Naomi. And in the summers, you know, we had longer summers then. You know, they, they didn't let you out of school, you know, towards the end of June. You go back in August. You got out early in June, and you didn't go back to Labor Day. And we were always outside, you know, doing something. But we would go house to house, and we would collect bottles. And these were, you know, everybody had glass bottles then. And some still had the milk bottles, but everybody had glass bottles. Not a lot of people still had cans. Everybody bought bottle, bottle soda. We could turn those in for money. So we'd go up the street to stop and go. I don't even know if they're around anymore. We'd go up to stop and go and we'd collected all of our bottles and we'd get our money and we would buy bubble yum, bubble gum. Some of you remember bubble yum. We would get whatever their like big gulp, even though they didn't have big, we'd get their biggest soda they had. We'd play asteroids, some of those old games. And then we'd buy water balloons, as many as we could, and we would inflict damage on our neighborhood against one another. We heard over and over from our neighbors, come pick up the water balloon, you know, those pieces are everywhere. That was like a routine we did. So I'm sure when people heard the knock on their door in the morning, they knew it was all these kids, right, collecting bottles. But in like the story we're going to read today, we didn't give them back. They weren't borrowed. We kept them. We kept uh, the money. I'm sure people tried to got caught on to us, right, collecting all of their money, and they wanted to take it and get their own bubble yum and water balloons to probably throw at us. So in uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, I do want to read one story because I'm always cognizant that if there's somebody that is new to Bible reading and they read this one story about Elisha, I probably should comment on it because it is one of those ones that's a little bit of a shocker. So let me get to 2 Kings chapter 2. And it'll be actually one of the second, um, I don't want to call it a miracle. It's a second act of God that we're going to see. And remember, last week we kind of quickly went through all of the miracles that Elijah did. And now Elisha is going to follow Elijah. I don't know about you, I wouldn't want to follow Elijah. <laughs> I'd want to wait, let have another guy come in, and then I'll go after him. 
Uh, but Elisha actually asked and prayed for that he would receive a double portion of the anointing of Elijah. Elijah, the Bible records uh, eight miracles. Elisha, the Bible records 16 miracles. So he received double. His heart was to do double, not for his own works, but for God. So I do want to read this one story because I think it's important. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23, uh, 24, and 25. This is after the waters purified. It says this about Elisha. And he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Everybody see that in your Bible? Does it say that? All right. If you're bald today, I'm sorry. Uh, you're going to see what happens next. So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. You guys, everybody got their Bible today, right? This is like the Bible we read. Okay. 42. You know, when I looked up the one of the Hebrew words means to rip open. So this isn't just like you're playing with your dog and your dog licks you. And, like, no, this is like, you know, tears them apart. It says, then he went from there to Mount Carmel and from there he returned to Samaria. So if you're new to the Bible and you're reading this and you're thinking, what am I doing here today? Is this the God of that's getting ready to send bears? You know, we have some good friends that are originally from Montana, and they would tell us they love to go hiking, but you never went hiking without bear spray. So I said, well, wouldn't you take a firearm? No, because, you know, you might miss or not hit them, right? You always took bear spray because one thing, they're out there. You might not be able to see them or smell them. They can smell you. from that's, you know, that's a little concerning. I'm going to read this one story. You know, God has a very serious message, and we saw it in the life of Elijah. He starts really with one of the Ten Commandments that he is a God that doesn't want to share us at all. He's a jealous God. We're not to serve any other gods. We're not to create or, or construct any other gods. And now Elisha is his new messenger, even though Elijah took on those prophets of Baal. But the false gods are still so popular in this society that what we probably see that these 42, um, we could actually call them hoodlums, right? We may have other words. They were probably caught up uh, possibly in that worship because here's the wording they use. Go up. Who else went up? Elijah. Go up, bald head. Go up, bald head. Well, when we read last week, there's a verse that mentions that Elijah was a hairy man and he wore a leather belt. Well, evidently, we get a little peek of Elisha. Elisha's a bald man. Go up, bald head. Or what are they doing? They're mocking, you know, probably the story they've heard of Elijah, that Elijah went up in a chariot of fire with horses of fire. They're mocking that about Elisha. Go up, bald head. Go up, bald head. Almost uh, like a threat to God. And so when we read this story, um, this is a direct reference to defying Elijah and what Elijah did, and God will not be mocked. Well, let me tell you this, 42 youths, let me tell you, they're going to be strong. We've seen videos where two or three kids will take on somebody or, or an elderly man or something. And, you know, they're like my son. 
I can, I, he's strong. Like there's certain things I think he's probably stronger than me, but I don't think he knows he is because I keep telling him all the time I can still take him, you know, like that, but he, he's strong. 42 with Elisha. So Elisha pronounces a curse on him in the name of the Lord. And notice he didn't pray. And God, I pray that two she bears come out of the wood and just shred them in front of my eyes. He didn't pray that. He was praying to God. God's the one that sent them out. God will not be mocked, right? So when you read these, don't be disturbed when you read these stories and tell somebody, hey, pass over at the end of, you know, 2 Kings 2 and just move on to, you know, to chapter 4. But I want you to see that. All right, 2 Kings chapter 4, the story I want to look at today in just these seven verses, because it is one of the earlier miracles of Elisha that I believe is very powerful to God speaking to us today. And let me read this in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons as his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Let me stop there for a minute. Now, if you remember, we looked at the miracle that Elijah did in the Shudamite's house where she was lacking flour and oil. And he promised her that if she made him a cake first, that she would continue to have flour and oil until it rained. So now we see another situation where the only thing left in the house is a jar of oil, but we pick this up in verse 3. And here's the instructions from Elisha. Then he said, go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons and then pour it into all the vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is no other vessel. So the oil ceased. And she came and told the man of God, and he said to her, go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. So, Lord, we stop today. Lord, I pray in looking at just these seven verses of Scripture and looking to Jesus that you're never without a miracle. You never look at a situation that's hopeless. In fact, many times you do say those words, what do you have? So Holy Spirit, thank you for speaking to our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the story is around a widow of one of the sons of the prophets that has two sons. And back in those days, if you had debt and couldn't pay, they took your kids. And you might say, hey, you know, you can take the oldest one, but leave the other ones with me. No, they took your kids. Your kids then would be sold as slaves 
And then the money that they were sold for, that would have paid off your debt. So her focus now is on what she doesn't have. What's she focused on? She has no husband. In fact, he was one of the sons of the prophets, one of the ones that would have served with Elisha. She has no money to pay whatever debt it was. The Bible's not specific of what it was. She's focused on the possibility of losing both of her sons, that she needs those sons. I'm sure they're working whatever farm or anything around that area. And the only thing that she has in the entire house is a jar of oil. And she does something that we read in the Bible. When we just kind of go through it, she cries out. In fact, that is one of those words when we read it, that it is a distressful cry to Elisha. She's at the end of her rope, the end of the line. She doesn't know what to do. Everything is mounting now against her. And that's why she begins to have a dialogue with Elisha. You know, and I, I think through uh, James chapter 1, five, uh, verse 5, in these situations, that if any of you lacks wisdom, here's that interesting word, ask. Right? How many times do we not ever stop and ask God? How many times do you think God is actually just waiting for us to ask? In fact, it goes on, and it says, let him ask of God who gives all liberally and without reproach, it will be given. One of those things that we get a chance to read in the New Testament, if, you, if you're lacking exactly what to do, ask God. But Elijah says in verse 4, he says, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a small jar of oil. You know, isn't it like us many times that we don't think we have anything to offer? I don't have, I don't have anything. I don't know how, how this is going to work out. Just a simple jar of oil. Now, on one hand, we read about Elijah where what God could have done was he could have taken this little jar and the jar just kept filling up and overflowing and overflowing. But there's something else that God wants to do in her life, and it comes down to acting out in faith. As we've been reading Hebrews through Hebrews 11, by faith, that's where the command is, I want you to go everywhere that you can, and I want you to borrow jars and borrow, whatever you can, go borrow them. Can you imagine that would be a little embarrassing, right, going to a neighbor knocking on the door, hey, do you have any jars that I can borrow? Yeah, what are you going to do with them? I really don't know yet. <laughs> right. Making candles? No, I don't know if we're making candles. What are you going to do with them? You're going to bring them back? I just need to borrow them. I just need to borrow them. So Elisha wants a bunch of empty jars because he probably knows exactly what God is going to want to do. Borrowed would have probably said something to her. I pray that the situation I am, I'm in is only temporary. It's only temporary. But what's God up to? Borrowing jars? I've only got this one little, I'm going to go borrow. I, so I've got every jar, everywhere I've collected. You know, have you ever done this with a neighbor? Have you gone to a neighbor's house and you knocked in, hey, do you have any eggs? We're, we ran out of eggs. No, I don't have any eggs. You ever gone to the next neighbor's house? And no eggs. Next day, no eggs. 
should have just gone to the store. Nobody's got any eggs. But you know, there's one neighbor in the house. They got everything, right? They've got every little powder and oil, and there's, you know, you know the one to go to. Well, she's going around, and she's going to get every jar imaginable. Here's another one that the command is something very interesting, I think, to all of us. He wants them to do this behind closed doors. I would think this oil is messy. Why don't I set up tables outside and I can, I can pour? And I wrote, I wrote this down. It's kind of the shut the door principle. No interruptions. No neighbors wondering what you're doing. Nobody thinking you have an early yard sale. Nobody to interfere with anything that you're doing because they probably already think she's crazy running around collecting jars, that she's completely lost it. She's lost her husband and now she's going crazy. But it reminds us today that sometimes or many times we need to get behind the closed doors so that there's nobody to interact, interrupt, or do anything to except our prayer to God. And here's what she does. Behind closed doors, she starts pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring. You know, the Bible isn't descriptive at all about how many bottles, but we know it was plenty enough to pay for her debt and for them to live on. But she kept pouring and pouring and pouring. Nobody else sees the miracle but they see it with their own eyes. Remember, she had a problem. I have no husband. I have debt. I'm going to lose my two sons. I don't know what to do. I only have just a little. Go everywhere you can. All right? So here's what faith does. Faith to us would be, just fill my jar up, and then when I empty it, it fills back up, so I don't have to go house to house. Faith always is action. Faith always is doing something, stepping out by faith. Peter has to step out of the boat to walk on the water. There's always a step out to do. It's not comfortable to go knock on everybody's door and to kept borrowing vessels and bottles. But God wants to do a miracle in her life, and he's going to do it behind closed doors. There's going to be no interruptions, and they're going to see the very hand of God in action. You know, I always do this. Though this is a quick story that we read through, I always jump because as I'm reading this, I'm going through all of these verses in my mind of what Jesus did in sometimes these exact words. So we always go to Hebrews chapter uh, 12, verse 2, that we look to Jesus. Jesus has a crowd of people in this story in Mark there are 5,000 men. This feeding is 5,000 men. And he says this in verse 38. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they found out and they said, we have five loaves and two fish. Five loaves, two fish, 5,000 people. We're in trouble, right? We're in trouble. Go and see what you have. Notice he says that, what do you have? We have almost nothing. Perfect. Perfect. Because he wouldn't have wanted 5,000 loaves and 30,000 fish. 
He wants the things that look like nothing, that are so small, because in the smallest of settings, God can be glorified. You know, you go through the entire Bible. You go to Gideon, and Gideon's building this mighty army, and God tells him, you got too many men. What do you mean too many men? You can never have enough military men. No, 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 I want you to whittle it down. In fact, we're going to whittle it down to 300. You thought, God, you've got to be kidding. He always goes down to the smallest of things. The smallest. He takes the small. He takes the David that's forgotten about, and he'll anoint king. He takes those things that don't look like anything. And that's where he loves to work. He loves to work and amplify everything. So like in this story, Jesus blesses the bread and passes it out and everybody eats and the disciples know we only had such little. But in the hands of the master, it wasn't impossible. Acts chapter 3 verse 6, you'll probably remember this one. This is Peter and John and they're going to the temple and there's a beggar that's been there. In fact, uh, when we read in our Bibles, he was probably there when Jesus walked by. And he's asking for alms. And they say, silver and gold. Oh, I, I don't have any today. I forgot my wallet. But here's what I have. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. Hey, that's better than a little piece of silver and gold. Let me tell you that. I love when I read this story. Because they take this guy everywhere they go. If you read in the Bible, he's showing up everywhere. Well, you take him everywhere with you too. They take him to court. They take him to the temple because probably back then everybody recognized this guy, but they were used to seeing him sitting really low. Well, now he's standing up tall. Here's what I don't have. I don't have what you're asking for, but I have exactly what you need. Right? I have exactly what you need in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Jesus said these words in Matthew 6, 6, but before I read it, the religious people of the day would love to stand on the corner of a street and then, then that's how they would pray. Oh God, I love you so much. I love you and I want the world to know I love you. Why were they doing that? Was it because of their heart for God? No, they wanted to show you that they were so spiritual and they would walk around and they would look, you know, act like they were fasting, like they could barely walk. God, so holy, I've been fasting. I haven't eaten in 40 days. And Jesus hated those things. You ever notice when Jesus gets mad, it's at the religious people. And here's what he says to his people and to us in Matthew chapter six, verse six. But you... When you pray, go into your room. And when you have what? Shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Go and shut the door. Nobody needs to, you don't need to be out and streaming in front of you know, your neighborhood at 6 in the morning just so everybody knows that you're praying. Go in and shut the door. Why? Because the God that sees, sees you in the secret place. and He will reward you for doing those things. You know, Jesus talked about when they boasted for fasting, he said, and if you're fasting, clean yourself up. You know, probably we would say, shave, comb your hair, brush your teeth. Back then it was anoint your head with oil. 
Anoint yourself. Don't go around looking like you're fasting. Nobody should know you're fasting. I just want everybody to know I've been fasting. I'm at 41 days. You know, what, is that, what does that do to me? Jesus says, go in and shut the door. Pray. To the ladies, go in and shut the door. You and your boys, start filling jars. Watch God work. As we started the service in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, where the apostle Paul says, and be anxious for nothing. Okay, here's a lady, no husband, uh, in debt, going to lose her kids, only has barely anything, be anxious for nothing. That's not too encouraging, is it? I'm anxious for a lot of things. I don't have any help. I'm going to lose my kids. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, and here's what I want to tell this for all of us. Let your request be made known unto God. That was kind of weak. <laughs> Some of you were thinking, let your request be made known to who? God. Why? God sees. If he can work out oil, if he can work out loaves and fish, if he can work those little things out that seem so meaningless, can he not take care of us? He says, you know, you look at the sparrow and it's going to fly over to in and out today and it's going to perch up, it's going to have its own fries and drop, right? And, and I take care of the sparrow. Aren't you worth more? I go look at the flowers and in fact, he uses that example. He said, I, I can take care of your clothing needs. Look at the flowers. They don't spin. They don't make their clothes, but I've clothed them. In fact, they look better than Solomon in all of his glory. I want to take care of, of those things. But do you trust me? Do you believe me? It's really about what you have, not what you don't have. Even the littlest things he takes. You know, lastly... The oil, over 200 times plus in the Bible, we read about oil. Now, this oil isn't just to remind us of cooking and, and all that they would do. It was used to anoint kings, but to us, it's always a symbol of the Holy Spirit at work. In fact, when we read a little bit about this oil, it's the Spirit in action. It's the Spirit empowering. So when I look at oil like this, it's that invisible presence of the Holy Spirit that's poured out. And notice when we read even about the one widow, her oil continues to flow until it rains. This one, it continues to pour until all the vessels were full. If there had been more vessels, it would have kept pouring and pouring and pouring because that's what the Holy Spirit is like to us. He's constantly out pouring to us, but we have to be like what Jesus said in John 4. If you're thirsty, you've got to drink. You've got to drink. You've got to trust. Trust. Even if you only have a little, trust and watch what he can do because God loves to do that. He loves to take what looks like nothing and amplify it for his glory. Bow your heads if you would with me this morning. Father, you know every situation. In fact, we read that. The God that sees in secret. 
You know every heart. You know every heart's cry. You know everything that we're facing. Lord, even if in our lives we're not facing something right now, we know there are things faced in our families, neighbors, co-workers. So, Father, we stop today. And when we read about you and what you do, you want to show yourself so faithful. We don't have to have it all. We have to have the faith with what we have. So, Lord, take what we have. Maybe what we have is a word to give somebody. Maybe what we have is just something to be a blessing to somebody. But take what we have and allow it to become an overflow in somebody's life. And here's what I know about you, Father. The God that sees in secret, we don't have to announce it. We don't have to post it. We don't have to tell anybody what we did. We shut the door. We pray, and we know the God that sees us in secret, he'll reward us. Lord, we don't want false rewards. We want the reward from you. And with every head bowed and every eye closed today, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, in fact, I'd ask all of us to do this. If you would all pray this prayer, but if you've never said this, or this is an opportunity for you to come back to him, I want you to pray this prayer and mean it with all of your heart like we read in the book of Romans. Ready? Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he lived. I believe that he lived. And that he died for me. And that he died for me. I accept him as my Lord. I accept you as my Lord. My Savior. My Savior. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me into your family. Thank you for bringing me into your family. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sin. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sin. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you prayed that or if you rededicated your life, would you please at the end of service come and just connect for a quick moment so we can pray with you. Let's all stand together. We're going to close. Uh, with a song, and then I had forgot I got In fact, I had one more uh, story to share, and then we'll close for the day. Whenever Michelle arrived, I get this text that just says, pray. Oh, okay. And you're like, send me some, you know, you know what, what for? So I'm you know, praying. So after, she said, we go, we're getting through customs. Now, for going to the Congo, they had to mail their um, passports to Washington, D.C. So they get mailed back, and on the cover of the passport is information, signatures. An entire page is reserved for their stamp and more signatures, and then her yellow fever vaccination is in the back. Well, they also had to send a letter that they were coming back. So basically, I had to write a letter that says she's co-pastor, she's volunteer, she's not paid, that she has her, she'll still be a pastor when she comes back. We haven't changed, we're not voting today to take it away. So I had to send this letter in. Well, the gentleman wants to see the original letters. Well, they were mailed to D.C. and then they get sent, I think, scanned and sent to the embassy. Well, he's not going to let them in the country. So I didn't know, you know, I'm just, you know, praying. 
And so he's giving him such a hard time. In fact, she told me after, she says, I didn't think we were going to get in. So she grabs her phone, and on her phone in the email, because I had sent her all of her documentations on email, she pulls up the letter, and he finally says, you know what, I'm done with you guys, just come on in. And so as they walk by, he said to her, he says, you're a pastor, right? She says, I am. He says, would you pray for me? Mm. <laughs> so first she's thinking, she wanted to test me, like, you know, like, you know, sometimes you hear another day, you know, uh, and so she, she says, can I pray for you right now? He says, pray for me right now. So she put her hand on his arm and prayed over him. And she said it was almost like it was amazing that he was so hard and then something switched that he would just say, first he says, get out and get in, pray for me. So for all of us this week, there are people that we're going to come against that might not want to let us in or let us do or whatever we're supposed to do. Let's not get frustrated, but let's stop and pray and ask God who works on the hearts mm -hmm. to work on those hearts because I want to believe in my life that that switches so much that somebody says, would you pray for me? Yeah. Because there's a God moment. She may never ever see the guy again, but for that moment in time, something changed that led him to say, pray for me. So I pray that over all of you this week as you go. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great week. Keep praying. We'll see you soon.